That video captures really the highlight of uh, a revolution that began in the 1500s that still shapes our world today. And today is Reformation Sunday, which is the Sunday nearest to October 31st every year. Now, this year, it happens to land exactly on October 31st, so it truly is uh, Reformation Sunday, the day that... It it was the day that Martin Luther went, nailed the 95 Theses to the door at the Wittenberg Church. That's known as Reformation Sunday. And that really was the kind of like uh, Paul Revere and the the little battle at Concord kind of got the American Revolution going. It really was that event that that crystallized the the movement and gave it its its energy. And uh, it has begun a faith revolution. And you might say, well, a faith revolution for who? For you. You're sitting in a Protestant church, likely believing doctrines that the Reformation didn't uh, invent, but that they uncovered and rediscovered and re-implemented in ways that had profound impact on, on the world. These are reformers like Martin Luther, Philip Melanchthon, John Huss, John Wycliffe, Zwingli, John Calvin, and really many others. These were mostly leaders in their, in their countries of this movement, but there were many, many people that were involved in it. And you might say, well, what did they do? What was so dramatic about this? They did the same thing that the apostles did 2,000 years ago, and that is they preached the simple gospel message that salvation is by faith alone change the world, turn the world upside down. So it seems to me that it is a great misfortune that October 31st is known more, even amongst what I would call good Christians, as Halloween, instead of what really matters, and that is what God did to preserve the gospel. And it also seems to me one sad result is that children can grow up in good Christian homes and know more about ghosts and goblins than they do what God did to preserve the gospel so that they can be saved. Parents, you need to teach your children the story. It is a wonderful story, and in teaching it, you'll learn it yourself. So every once in a while here at Bethel, we get historical. And today is one of those Get Historical uh, Sundays. And it's a little bit because you have a quirky pastor who loves church history and loves the story of what God has done and the biographies and the people involved. And, and uh, partially because I think it's just right for us to understand that. And how are we going to understand it as a church if we don't talk about it? And so we're talking about it on Reformation Sunday. Let me tell you the story uh, very briefly. Here is the setting of the Reformation. You had in Europe all these little uh, city-states, these little fiefdoms, these little kingdoms that were not tied together politically. They were tied together by uh, the Roman Catholic Church. And the story of the church, the historical church, if we go before the Reformation, the church uh, divided into two main camps in 1054. You had the Eastern Orthodox Church, and then you had the Western uh, Roman Catholic Church. And so if you drive around Lake County, for example, and you see all of these Greek Orthodox church buildings, we have 
probably two or three of them within a mile of this building. And you wondered, well, I wonder what they're all about or where they came from. They came from that division in 1054 into the Eastern Church and the Western Church. And since we live in an area where there's a lot of people who immigrated from Eastern Europe, we've got the Macedonian Orthodox Church and we've got the Greek Orthodox and all the rest. That's where that came from. Aren't you glad you knew that now? Some of you probably wondered, where are they from and what's that all about? That's what they're from. So the state of the medieval Western church was horrible. Basically, what had happened was there was a series of corrupt leaders, corrupt popes, uh, who uh, really muddied up the water in terms of the actual gospel that saves and what authentic uh, Christianity was all about. And so it got lost in the, it got muddied up in what was really power struggles, money, uh, corruptness, and all the rest that took place in the church. And the effect of that for the average churchgoer was horrible because they would go to church or they, they were growing up in a church faith community where the, the, the Bible was not the authority, the gospel was not clear, The leaders were corrupt, so you didn't respect them. And the fruit of that was that the people were just walking around in a kind of spiritual darkness. They didn't know what was true. They, they were, they were, they were easily swayed because they weren't taught doctrine. They didn't have the Bible that they could read themselves. It was hidden away in Latin and Greek and Hebrew, and only the clergy were allowed to know those languages. And so there was just a, there was just a darkness. And with that spiritual darkness, there was a sense of lostness and despair. The sad state of affairs was epitomized in the church's practice of selling indulgences. You saw that in the video. Let me just explain a little clearer what that is. An indulgence was a teaching of the medieval church that the church could provide remission for sins or take away the punishment for sins. And and what this, uh, basically what they taught was that the church was like a, a bank of righteousness that Mary and Jesus and the saints had poured their righteousness into, and now the church was allowed to kind of divvy it out, almost like a loan officer could hand out righteousness to whomever it it wanted to. Well, this became a great fundraising idea uh, because they thought, hey, if you want to sin in some way, then just pay for the indulgence and then go and, and, and do whatever you want to do. Not a bad idea, huh? I mean, think of the money that you could raise uh, from that. Speaking from my own personal perspective, I believe St. Peter's Basilica was largely built from donations from single men. That's my personal opinion. Uh, But what a great way to raise money. What a really sad way to do it. So that's an example of the kind of disarray that the church was in. Well, what happened was there were voices of discontent that began to preach and speak. Men like uh, John Wycliffe, you probably have known the name, maybe from Wycliffe Bible Translators, John Wycliffe in England, John Huss in Czechoslovakia, both of those men gave their life. I think both of them were burned at the stake. Uh, But they were preaching a call back to the authentic gospel. So there were these kind of stirrings that were taking place. But what was needed was a lightning rod, something to get this thing going. And that something was a somebody, and his name was Martin Luther. So let me tell you a little bit about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was, interestingly enough, a Catholic monk who um, had a great sense of 
reverence for God, a fear of God, a sense of his own sinfulness, and was in a, in a, in a, in a, in a search for a free conscience before God. He became a professor and was teaching through Romans and Galatians and saw in those books how Paul emphasized that salvation was by faith, that the just shall live by faith. And it just dawned on him, it was like a light going off, that salvation was not a matter of good works or religious ceremony um, or any of these other things that were commonly taught in the day, but that it was a gift from God by faith alone. And he embraced that himself, began to teach that, began to write about that. He was a brilliant man. His literary outflow was amazing. He just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and this began to spread, which led then to uh, him writing the 95 Theses, nailing it to the Wittenberg uh, Church, Finding out, or this was found out by the authorities who called him in ultimately for one final sort of confrontation, which is known as the Diet of Worms. It looks like in English, it's the Diet of Worms, which is just the town where this happened. So we would have the Diet of Crown Point here. It just was the town of Worms, but somehow appropriate for the occasion. Uh, and... And that was the, what was shown on the video, where he takes his stand, he says he will not recant, and he is condemned to death. Well, one of the, one of the princes of the, of the, of, in Germany rescued him and hid him away in a castle. And while he was in this castle, he, the Wartburg Castle, he translated the New Testament into German in six weeks, which to this day people are amazed that he was able to do that. But now for the very first time, the German people had the Bible in their own language. And it's hard for us, who many of us have Bible now, five at home, on our you know, we got them on our phone now. It's hard for us to understand how dramatic it was for people to be able to read God's word in their own language and to see for themselves what God said. And with that, the proverbial doctrinal horse was out of the barn. And people realized what the message of the New Testament was and the message of the apostles and how contrary it was to what they had been taught. And there was this then movement that happened throughout Europe and led by these various men that I've already mentioned. And one writer says that God by Luther kindled that fire which the world shall never be able to quench. And that fire was simply the gospel. Summarized, as we saw earlier, in uh, three solas. Sola means alone. So sola scriptura means scripture alone is our authority. Sola fide. Today is faith, so it is by faith alone. We don't add nothing to it. We don't do nothing. It's a gift. It's by faith alone. And sola gratia, which means by grace alone. The three solas of the Reformation. And so from that then, there was this just revolution that took place throughout Europe. And it is hard to overestimate the impact that it had on the world. And I say this to you because you're probably not going to hear that. Students, you're not going to hear that in your history class at, at school. They're not going to talk at great length about the transformation that the Reformation brought and how wonderful it was. But it shaped the world that we live in. In fact, just one example of that, it was Reformation doctrine-believing Christians who wanted to practice their Reformation faith 
in the way that they wanted to practice their Reformation faith that boarded a ship called the Mayflower and sailed for the New World to the place that you and I now call home. One example of how it has shaped the world that we live in. So why celebrate the Reformation? A few quick bullet points. The Reformation was the rediscovery of the gospel. They didn't invent it. They didn't create it. They rediscovered it, specifically that justification is by faith through grace. The priesthood of all believers, that there is no human mediator that we go through, that Jesus is our mediator, and he is alone. The dignity of all human labor. It's not like the clergy are the, you know, blessed by God, and then there's all the, you know, just the, all you sinners out there. But that human labor, no matter what we do, is digni- has dignity to it and can be done to the glory of God. Sexuality is a good gift from God. Martin Luther uh, was a monk who vowed to celibacy. He married Catherine, who was a nun who had vowed to celibacy, which, of course, was this, this huge scandal. But you've got to love Martin Luther, a pastor in his early 40s, marrying a much younger woman. I love Martin Luther. Uh, the church... The church as under the authority of the scriptures. Congregational singing was something that Martin Luther and the reformers brought. What we did earlier, what we enjoyed doing so much, that was a part of it. The rebirth of God-centered and God-glorifying artistic expression and many, many other things. So one final point is this. In talking about this, I don't want you to think, oh, boy, that's a church that really, boy, they worship the reformers. We don't worship the reformers. We don't worship the reformation. We worship the Christ who said, this is my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Christ is preserving his church. And so we look at the reformation and we see what God can do when the gospel is unleashed genuinely in the hearts of people. And then we look around Lake County, Northwest Indiana and our, and the United States. Are we in need of reformation? Absolutely. And if God can do reformation through the gospel in medieval Germany, then he can do it again. And that's our prayer, Jesus, that you would do it again.